I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Two or three parables, and then I'm going to approach this in a way that some time ago, uh, it's been several years that I taught on this, and I, I was in my office before service, and God really dealt with me to come back to this. And uh, I'm going to deal with this differently. And what, the, what I'm saying is you need to pay close attention, very close attention to what I'm saying. I don't mean in any way to be confusing, but I think if you can follow me that this will open up your hearts and your minds to really what, what the parables of Jesus were really all about. Uh, I'm going to read again. There's going to be a few of them here. You can follow me through one of the best you can. I won't go through all that you have, but I will read two or three here. Mark 13:44 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he has, and buys the field. All right, now that's one parable. I want you to keep these in mind. Um, looking on to Exodus, that kind of goes along with this. Exodus 19 and 5 says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice, indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. This is Jesus, or God speaking to the children of Israel in Exodus 19 and 5. He's telling them, and these two uh, verses of Scripture actually go together. Now we're going to go to the next verse in Matthew 13, verse 45 through 46. And it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl, just one pearl of great price, went out, he sold all that he had, and he bought that pearl of great price. Now, I believe these two scriptures, one's talking about uh, the Lord gave his life for Israel. The second one, the Lord gave his life for the church. But the parables in themselves, I want you to keep them in mind. First uh, Corinthians six nineteen and 20 actually goes with Matthew thirteen forty five says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Everything here, we're talking about being bought with a price. It says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Both. Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore. They sat down, they gathered the good unto vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth sever the wicked from among the just, shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. All right. Now, I said all that, and I'm going to go into something about in the parables here, that if you he was here several years ago, you might have heard this. I just can't remember exactly when I did it. But I, I want to give you another scripture. and I'm just, She won't have it, but I'm just uh, going to read it to you. Uh, verily, verily, Jesus is saying, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Up to now, the world in general, and his professed followers in a special, have failed. This has been a this has been a very common thing for me to go back to throughout, throughout 30 years of ministry. Uh, and you've heard me say this before, and I still believe this. I, I feel like that we're getting towards an apostolic church, but I yet, have yet to see a true apostolic church. A true apostolic church is more than what we look like. It's how we act. It's how we react. It's miracles that happen. It is, is healings that happen. It is walking in the way that the apostles walked. That's an apostolic church. I don't think the world has seen that yet. So the question that is left unanswered is, what is that power that Jesus has promised? He was going to leave us, and where shall we find it? Now you think about this. He was going to leave us his power. Where are we going to find this power? Easy answers in the Holy Ghost, and I believe that with all my heart. 
But what is the key element within the Holy Ghost that is going to help me to open up the true apostolic miracle signs and wonders that should be dwelling within the heart of a true believer? Is Jesus' power of healing the sick, of bringing peace to the troubled, and harmony out of discord, is this a lost art? Because really that's what I'm talking about here and how the parables apply to the lost art of Jesus. Jesus gives us what to do. He shows us what to do, and He shows us in parables. And so you cannot truly understand a parable unless you understand what Jesus is really relating to within that parable. And what you're going to find time and time again is things that Jesus found that was so precious and that He was willing to die for it, and that was people. He was willing to die for people. And part of the people end of things is for us to truly be apostolic where someone can see the true acts of deity working within the church. You know, if we look at this, if we look at this, uh, I, I I still have a discovery to make. You have a discovery to make. And what I've just referred to, that there came to me, and actually has come to me a long time ago, a realization. And I hope that in the course of this tonight that it can come to you, that there's a realization of the deeper and the closer association of cause and effect which existed between the parables and the miracles of our Lord. Why did Jesus teach him to confound the wise? We talked about that last week, to confound the wise. For the simple person to understand that there is something else there. A spiritually led person will be able to, after revelation comes in your heart, to see what the parables are really talking about. Because there is a cause and effect between the parables and the miracles of the Lord. For in Jesus and his parabolic interpretation of life, actually what happens here is it lay the secret of signs and wonders that signalized his healing and teaching ministry. So within the parables lies the secret, if you would, of what true signs, miracles, healings really come from. And if all this is implied to Jesus' uh, parabolic view of life, it, it, it behooves us to consider carefully just what manner of thing this mystery is that we call a parable. So what is truly a parable? Because there again, we got the biblical definition. All right, it was confounding the wise man, the man who's out there trying to find all kinds of reasons behind this as to why him. So, so simple people like me. I should be able to see what what this cause and effect is. Somehow, out of these parables, I should be able to pull something that's going to cause a ministry to begin to work through me that I really want to see happen. And I hope as I go through this, you can see I'm referring to myself, but I hope you can refer to yourself as well. What do I really want to see happen? This this thing that is so filled with moral and, 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 and spiritual spiritual dynamite. In a parable, there is literally spiritual dynamite. A parable, says the dictionary. Now, this is a dictionary definition. Is an allegorical relation of something that is real. An allegory of something that is real. Now, I'm going to translate that for you as we go through this. And there we have it. A parable deals, first of all, with reality. That's what a parable does. Second, it translates this reality in terms of the imagination. And before you turn off on imagination, believe me, there is more imagination to a child of God than there should be reality. Okay? God works through that. You'll you'll see this in just a minute. Jesus looked at reality through the lens of divine imagination. By means of that fact, troubles vanished around him. Obstacles fell away. The lost became found. The sick became well. Sinners became redeemed. And rough places became smooth. Moreover, he promised that those who followed him and used the way he used should have similar dominion over all things on earth, and that greater works than he did should we be able to do. 
But we have to see it through the divine imagination. Before you even say anything, I'm sure I've dug up a whole ash heap, if you would, on things here that you don't necessarily, you're wondering about, but you just stay with me because I'm sorry, I don't like the way church is going. Not here today. I'm just talking about in general. And I'm not talking about McCormick's Creek. I'm talking about everywhere. I have not liked it for 30 years. So I'm going to get in and dig in some more, some things that I've dug up before. But I think we've, we, through, through loss, through hurts, through pain, through work, through everything else that we as a church have gone through, we have somehow managed to heap up a bunch of stuff over the true reality that is walking with God. Are you with me? And don't be afraid to say amen, because if you can amen what I'm saying, then I know I've got some help out there. All right? All right, I, I, I'm tired of that. The imagination is of all qualities in man the most godlike. Of everything we have, the imagination is the most godlike. And that which associates him most closely with God. So with imagination, we associate much more closely with God. The first mention we read of man in the Bible is where he is spoken of as an image. He is an image. So let us make man in our own image after our likeness. The only place where an image can be conceived is in the imagination. That's the only place. There's no other way. Thus men, the highest creation of God, was a creation of God's imagination. The source and center of all man's creative power. The power that above all others lifts him above the level of the brute creation and that gives him dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the animals that move and creep on the earth. Is, is his power of making images or the power of the imagination? So what makes man godlike is the fact that we have the imagination that we have. For those little kids that have these great imaginations, you see them creating all kinds of scenarios with their toys. And yet the Bible says that unless you become as a little child, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. What was he really talking about? Was he talking about the ability of that child to imagine things? We want to whip them for having too much imagination. But maybe what we need is a little bit of that childlike imagination working within us. The imagination of man is but the window or door which when thrown open lets the divine life stream into our lives. Now when, when it is thus thrown open, man is brought into a condition of consciousness which for want of a better word is called inspiration. This, this heavenly inspiration is what links man to the divine and brings into existence our, our poets. This is where our poetry comes from. This is where our composers come from and our prophets and, if you would, mystics and seers and saints. This is the power that Jesus Christ had and that lifted him above all other men. A power that he, however, in his immeasurable compassion and his infinite humility wished to bestow upon others and share with them that greater works than he had done that he might that we might do also you know where our problem really lies our problem lies in the fact that somehow we don't want to go there too quickly or or we somehow think that we've got to work our way into that particular position which is completely contrary to faith that is why that the new convert can come in and go around and believe god that anybody they lay hands on is going to be healed because they have yet to come to that point of thinking that it won't work for them are you with me? Are you with me? Because they have that simple faith, that inspiration from God. They know that God did something for them, and if God would do something for them, why wouldn't He do it for everyone? These works, these, these mighty works, these miracles, if you will, are the direct outcome of Jesus converting everything that He saw into parables. Everything he saw, he converted it into a parable. And a parable, we find, is merely an allegorical relation of something real. Looked at, now look at, watch me, looked at from this angle. 
The performing of a miracle is not such an impossible task. It consists merely of looking at reality through the lens of the imagination and letting this parable or imaginative way of looking at reality bring to pass the thing which is spoken of as a miracle. Let me just put it to you simply. When Jesus taught in a parable, he saw something deep and spiritual within what he was teaching. He was showing it through some kind of real emotion. A, a sore went out to sow. These people, these farmers, in their mind, they could see him possibly, possibly as he was standing in the boat teaching that particular parable, he was looking over the heads of the multitude, and he saw a man out there sowing seed. So he began... He began to teach in a way they would understand. But what was a deeper spiritual thing here? He was talking about his words that would be sown in the hearts of sinners that would actually change them. Do a miracle. He was using this. Now, now follow me with this. This is, this is how the reality brings to pass is, spo- uh, is spoken of as a miracle. So, so the reality actually in what he was teaching could bring a about a change in a person's life, such as you've already seen, such as some of you has experienced, some of you that were drug addicts, some of you that were, were in all kinds of alcoholics and all kinds of messes in your life. What did God do? Somebody sowed the Word of God in your heart and a miracle occurred. Oh, give him a hand clap of praise. Give him a hand clap. All right, let's, go, let's take this a little bit further. What is reality? What is reality? You know, you understand something here. You can sit there and you can think of how bad off you are financially. Now, you don't know what you're going to do, or you can take, and remember, a lot of the words we have in Scripture we use as parables. My God shall supply your needs according to his riches and glory. You can concentrate on what he's saying here and begin to see that they're beyond the what you consider reality of being in poverty, that there is everything you could ever hope for or imagine on the other side of what Jesus just said. Do you get that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe it doesn't happen immediately. But if you can just hang on to the words of Jesus and allow the teachings and the parables, if you would, to become the reality of your life, then a miracle occurs. You don't see anymore the poverty. What you see is the hope that the words and the parable gives you. A man, a, a man went out into the field and he, he found this pearl of great price. So he went home and he sold everything that he had to get this pearl of great price. What's he saying? He's saying you need your miracle? Are you sold out as everything that you are sold out to getting everything that God has for you? Am I willing to give up the last little vestige of what I consider to be material blessings or uh, what I consider to be me? Am I willing to give that up to get that pearl of great price? You see, on the other side of getting that is everything that you need. Simple. The allegory of the reality. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at this. What is reality? reality? Reality in the eyes of the practical man is made up of cold, hard facts. Everybody likes cold, hard facts. That's what reality is. That's why we see it. And as we look about us in this world, what we see all too frequently are the quarrels, bickerings, unhappiness, unfaithfulness, treachery, covetousness, and materialism that is everywhere. Everywhere. These are the facts of life. But what are facts? Question. Fact comes from the word factum, meaning something that we do or make. Okay? Something that we do or make. Are these facts of life identical with the realities of life? Okay? 
not according to Jesus. To him, reality does not consist of that which is made. This is what he said. But of that where eternally, or what is, or where eternally is, or eternity is. What is eternity? Love is eternally. Quarrels are made. Okay? Love is. Quarrels are made. Joy is. Unhappiness is made. Truth is. Lies are made. Loyalty is. Betrayals are made. Purity is. Impurity is made. Life is. Sickness is made. I don't care what you say, it's a truth. So Jesus went through life seeing no quarrels. He saw no unhappiness. He saw no lies, no impurity, no sickness. Where they appeared to be, he turned the lens of his divinely inspired imagination upon them, and he converted them into parables. And you look at everything that I just said, you'll find that in parables. He just made them into parables. And behold, they stood forth, revealed as mere shadows or mere reflections, upside down of the reality. And every time that Jesus converted a fact into a reality, the people exclaimed that a miracle had been wrought. What are you saying? I'm saying that miracles are not nearly as miraculous as you think. We have made miracles harder than miracles truly are. Rick received a miracle. Brother Graves received a miracle. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying when you begin to embrace what God has done for you, then there's no end to what God will do for you. Give him a good hand clap. Good hand clap. Now, for those of you that are so... so, Let's see. How can I put that? So earthly-minded that you can do no spiritual good. Let me give you something here. Bear in mind, I do not mean to imply that Jesus went about disregarding and overlooking the facts of life. Rather, he looked at them so much more steadily, so much more understandingly. Do you get that word? Sometimes you have to look at the situation with understanding. Where's going on? What's, I, I know, and I'm not, I'm not ignorant, please. I know that sometimes you're in the midst of something extremely difficult, extremely hard. It's hard to look beyond it because all you can see is the obstacle that's right before you. But if you can look at that obstacle with understanding and knowing that God somehow let this thing be there for a purpose. And you begin to look at that and realize that whatever it is that's stopping you, whatever it is that's in your way right now, that the same God that allowed it to be there can just as quickly take it out of the way. And if you will look at that with that understanding, then these things will begin to disappear out of your life. And, and it's not even a, it, 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 will, it will move quicker than you could ever, ever imagine. He looked right straight through them into that underlying reality of which they were. The mere counterfeits or the mere reflections, if you would. This is what the, the parables or the parabolic point of view consist of. He looked steadily at the dead girl until he could utter with absolute conviction based upon perfectly clear understanding this startling parable. The maid is not dead, but she sleepeth. Now that's a parable. There was something underlying there. I mean, everybody's around her. She's seeing this. This is a dead person. No, she's not dead. And everybody laughed him to scorn. But he saw beyond it. He saw the reality. Not something that we've made up in our minds. Let's move on. The maid, again, he's not dead. He looked through the palsied sufferer until he could pronounce with conviction another parable. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, it didn't even make sense. The person was suffering for parable, so he has this, this, this uh, from parable, suffering from palsy. And so he, he brings this parable, you know, that thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, I'm not really interested in my sins. I'm interested in this affliction I've got in my body. 
But Jesus saw through it. He said, you know, this affliction can only be taken care of when you accept the fact that I've forgiven you of your sins. And not only that, my friend, but also he had to realize that that man may have known that only God can forgive sins. So you have to accept me as God, the God that can forgive sins. For to Jesus, a parable meant simply the going back behind the fact to the reality that the fact represents. It does not mean watering the leaf that is waving conspicuously in the sunshine, but it's watering the roots that no one can see. It does not mean healing a man's skin, but healing his soul. It does not mean dealing with the seen, but dealing with the unseen. Not with the carnal, but with the spiritual. Once, once performed, the inner watering, the, the inner cleansing, and the outer healing will follow as a matter of course. Whether is it easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. He went beyond that. It's so easy for us to see the superficial on the top, but we miss seeing the roots that are hidden. Why am I always... In a financial mess. Ask yourself that question. Why? And begin to be extremely honest with yourself and you may be able to see a miracle occur. Be so honest with yourself that it hurts. Be so honest with yourself as to say to yourself, if I hadn't have jumped from one job to the other, I'd probably been better off right now. Let's have a dead silence for just a minute with that. How you say? Oh, I didn't. I'm not pointing my finger at you. I'm just saying that's a possibility. If I just hadn't married that witch, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. If I just hadn't married that, <clears throat> let, let, let's put it in better language. Uh, that. Um, that empty head that just kept throwing money into it. That's, but that's a good one. Well, that can go men or, men or women. Okay. So, so that's better. Think about it. If I didn't buy my children every time they wanted a new iPhone came out and I spent $1,000 on it, just because they make a lot of racket. Now, there's a myriad of things if we're honest with ourselves. But when we begin to get down into those areas and begin to ask God for forgiveness, that opens the door for a miracle to occur. Anybody understand what I just said there? Does it make sense? Does it make sense? Uh, and here... Let me, let, me, let me pause a moment to clear up a misunderstanding in regard to the imagination that may have cropped up in the thoughts of a lot of you. There are some who have always thought that the imagination was something which makes us believe that which is not. That's not the truth. That's called fancy. This is called a fancy, not imagination. Fancy would convert that which is real into pretense and sham. Imagination enables one to see through the appearance of a thing to what really is. So I, I, let, let's illustrate that if I can here. Um, you know, for instance, in our case, we can't use this, but up here I could. Uh, we're sitting up here on, and if I look down, I see a flat floor that's beneath me. A carpenter, a contractor, and an architect brought their combined skill into action to see that the floor was flat, set level with the world. Now, when you look out of the window, you see streets a lot of times and gardens about you. They're also on flat. For 3,000 years and perhaps far longer, all mankind believed the world was flat. Now, why did he believe that? He believed it because they believed the evidence of their eyes. At last, there came a man who looked at the world with his imagination and he saw that it was round. So as, you're, as you read, you look out the window and you see the sun setting behind the western hills. You say the sun is going down, and for thousands of years all mankind believed that was so. In short, 
that the earth was the center of the universe and that the sun, the moon, and the stars revolved around it. At length there arose a man who used his imagination sufficiently to see through the appearance of things to the reality of things. Because he insisted that the sun stood still and the earth revolved around it. In short, he tried to duplicate Joshua's miracle of making the sun stand still. His theory was regarded as a heresy. Now, did Columbus create a miracle by proving that the earth was round and all the kings and all the king's men knew that it was flat? And when he proved it was round, did he actually make it round? Did he? Did he prove that he make it round? No, it was already there. Sometimes healing of sickness is not a matter of bringing... It's, it's already there. It's part of the covenant that we have with the Lord. Healing exists within you in the Holy Ghost. It's just a matter of bringing it out. We don't create healing. We don't, you know, God just standing up there with his arms folded saying, Oh, you know, well, maybe today I'll, I'll heal, I'll heal uh, Kim Evans and maybe I won't. You know, he's not like that. Healing is already there. There's reasons we don't get healed. Yes, we're not going to go into that tonight. But I'm saying that it's already present. And sometimes if we just begin to look at why we're not healed and begin to, to understand that there's something in the way or it's just my time to go. It's already there. We don't create it. <clears throat> Did Copernicus make the sun stand still and the earth revolve around it? No, he, he created no miracle. He merely demonstrated and proved that was actually so. And like Jesus, he marveled because of their unbelief. In like manner, we may ask, did Jesus perform a miracle when he said the leper was made whole? No, he merely demonstrated it. Did he break a natural law when he said the maid is not dead but sleepeth? No, he merely demonstrated that life is the reality and death is merely a shadow of a counterfeit of life. That's all it is. I don't really die if I'm a child of God. I'm just changed. Then can we create miracles? Yes, we can if we use our imagination and look steadfastly through appearances of things to the reality behind them, if we want to call that creation. We cannot create miracles by our fancy, by trying to make believe we see things that we do not and cannot see because they don't exist. We can create a miracle, by, create miracles, if you would, by faith, by knowing that, re, that or excuse me, by knowing the reality that exists behind the things that only seem to exist. What is truly there and what isn't. Everything we see with our eyes is not always real. And I'm not getting into Eastern religion. I'm just saying there again, we, uh, the devil has created a false through Eastern religions. Uh, you know, where Jesus said, believing, uh, you know, that, that faith is uh, seeing the things that are, that are not seen. He said that. Seeing those things that are, are calling those things that are not as if they are. So, so we call him as not. That's not, that's, a, that was, that's not Eastern uh, business, baloney. That is something that Jesus had all along. It's something God created from the beginning. And yet we fall away from it. We stand back away from it because we're afraid we're going, to be, we're going to be labeled as something freakish. We're talking about parables tonight. <clears throat> we can create miracles by faith, by knowing the reality exists behind a thing that only seems to exist. Faith will indeed, it will move mountains. And what is the greatest of all realities? The reality around which all lesser realities center, as it were. The great reality, the realization of which was, uh, was at the core of all Jesus' miracles was the truth that man is eternally united with all that is good. In other words, with God and his kingdom. That we are united with that. It is the will of God for every person to be saved. I know they will not, but that doesn't change the fact that it is the will of God. And eternally separated. Man is, man is eternally separated from all that is bad. We are separated from that. We don't have to embrace it. We choose to embrace that which is wrong. We choose to embrace the bad. 
Merely to see this reality and see it clearly enough will make the sick whole. It will make the sorrowful happy and the sinful redeemed and the lost found. As long as one asks for one thing and desires another, his prayers remain unanswered. Now, do you get that? Let me say that again. As long as you ask one thing for one thing and desire something else, your prayers will go unanswered. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe you shall receive them, you shall have them. But we can mouth things that we want, but we really don't want them. We don't really desire them. We think it's expected out of us. And what do we do? You get up and you, you have a testimony. You prayed for this particular thing, but in your heart you didn't desire it at all. And so we make, we make faith look like it's something silly. What you, you know, the basis of all the parables was honesty. Honesty with self. Honesty with, within ourselves and, and, and being so honest that, 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 that we, we see things begin to come from us. Folks, I, I, what I'm saying, I'm saying all this because I know this, this is tried and proven. The longer I live for God, the more I see this come into existence. The more, the more honest I am with myself about things. And, and just like you, I have the human part of me that sometimes comes out and, and begins to question, uh, I, I question some decisions that I've made. Even though I know that God spoke those things to me, the right circumstances will come up and make me question. And I know that what I'm looking at is not real. I know what God said to me. But that doesn't change the fact that that mist of of obstacles, that mist of what we call reality, can still work on an individual. It's when you stop and you remember that this is what God said. This is how God was leading me. That that thing begins to fall away and you begin to go in the direction that God wants you to go. It's kind of like this. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good when you think of it. And I put it in, in terms here that I think most of us can understand. Not until the athletic coach has, has persuaded himself in his own heart that the pearl without price that he desires above all other things for his athletes is that they be filled with overflowing with love and joy in their hearts entirely, regardless of whether victory or defeat, shall things begin to work out for that coach. It's when we want joy above all else for the people that we're, that we're in charge of. Whether you're working out in the world, whether you're a pastor in the church, whether you're a department head, when we want above all else for people to, be, to have joy and love in their hearts. And that's it. Regardless of how well we do one way or the other, that doesn't mean we don't try. It doesn't mean we don't make plans. We do that. But above all else is the love and joy that should accompany anything that we do until we can find that. Nothing will work for us. Nothing will work. You know, we begin to look at these, these parables and begin to see. And when you read, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what I'm saying tonight. And I want you to, I want you to read this with this thought in mind. <clears throat> Greater. Then the prayer is the spirit in which it is uttered. You get me? Greater than the prayer is the spirit in which the prayer is uttered. Greater than speaking in parables, than thinking in parables. Yes, even praying in parables is living in parables. This is the secret underlying a parable method of speech of Jesus. It is the parable method of living. He allied himself spiritually, or if you will, mystically with the universe. Just as uh, as a scientist allies himself with it mentally, and as a scientist talks of and about the greater powers of nature that are unseen. Jesus lived, moved, and had his being, knowing himself to be one with the powers that are unseen because he was the one who created all things. And so the one who created all things, the one who created man in his own image, the one who, who, who we look to, the one that we believe in, the one that we live in, he is the one that should be leading us in everything we do, and we need to trust him regardless of how we feel. We've got to trust him regardless of our personalities and our character. 
If you're one of these people that every time someone uh, walks by you and doesn't say hi, you get your feelings hurt, you need to get beyond that because that's stopping you. That's hindering you from going further within the Lord. If, if you're one of those that get angry, uh, you know, this is a good one for me. You get angry whenever you drive on 46. I can't go between the house and the church without getting angry. But you know, all that does is it just creates an obstacle in my mind. It creates something there that stops the true flow of joy and the spiritual and, and the love that, that, that God has for every man. And this art, which Jesus mastered in such a magnificent manner, on the testimony of Jesus himself can be ours. And if we're willing to pay the price to take up our cross, to follow in his footsteps, to look upon life as his looked upon it, as he has looked upon it, rather, and he, and, and he looked upon life imaginatively, and as to say spiritually, and, and for that imagination sees things not in the flesh, but the imagination sees things in the spirit, not in imperfection, but in perfection, not in ugliness, but in beauty, not in discord, but in harmony. Not in parts, but in holes. Let me, let me put it to you real easily. We want to be a soul-winning church. We've always been a soul-winning church. But we have to look at the people out there, and it's really difficult. The older you get, the more difficult it becomes. When you see younger people out there and some of the directions that they go to, and some of, the, some, you know, some of this tattoo business, it just absolutely, it, it's abhorrent to me. You know, you look at Leviticus 18, it tells you not to make marks on your body for the dead. Any marks at all. And for the people, believe it or not, whenever you put a tattoo on, that is actually going back to making marks for the dead. And when I look at this and see some of these horrible things, the first thing I want to do is turn off completely to the to that person. That is wrong. That person could be saved whether he's got a tattoo from the top of his head to the end of his toes. And we can't turn off because that we have to have love and we have to have joy in our life. Regardless. Regardless. Any questions or comments on what I have just taught on here tonight? Please understand. If there's anything at all, please raise your hands and let's, 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 let's discuss it if we can. I'd like for us to get there. Go ahead. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Right. Well, and, and it, Paul also spoke of vain imaginations. And we, and we go there, but that doesn't, I mean, that's, again, they imagined they were capable of doing what they imagined. That should be a positive. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. Anybody else? Any questions, comments? Oh, why not? Why not? You've been faithful to God. You've put everything out of your life that doesn't need to be there. Then why not? It's the same way with filling up. The, you know, we need to get back to looking at these pews as being full of people. When we go around and pray, we need to pray that these things are full of people. I used to do that all the time. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can get out of the habit of doing the right thing. Do you have something? Oh. Yes. When you pray, we need to see it exactly that way. When you see it, God, you, you see my mind. You know what I believe. Now you do it. You do it and see it every way. And, and it has to be whenever. Uh, one of the worst things I think it can happen to a ministry, whether it be a pastor, evangelist, or whatever it may be, regardless of how many people's in there, if there's two people in the church, you should preach like there's 200. Go ahead. That that is exactly right. Uh, Sister Lotch, my great aunt, I remember sitting and talking to her, and she made a statement. She went all the way back to when she first got the Holy Ghost, and she said the same thing. She said that it was not 
She said, I, I don't know where, she, this was her words. She said, I don't know where, when they started preaching it was okay to go to the doctor because we never believed that. Now, I'm not taking away from you. I'm not taking your doctors away. I'm just saying that's what she said. And, and you know, I remember the look because it got me so much because I remember the look on her face. It was like as far away look when she said that. She said it was very, she said it was very unusual for people not to be healed. Very. Yeah. That's right. You, you, you went, it's exactly right. And then you have, uh, you know, you have, I, I remember, I, you know, and I've said it before, she was on the first ones, and I, I've seen some things. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs. I've seen some, some things happen, but I've never seen this, and I, I don't <laughs> want this to happen, so I can see it, but she, she made mention, her and her husband, uh, went, this was up in Jackson County, what's Hoosier National Force now? And she went up, they said this guy lived on a hill. She said that the only way to stop when you started going down to his house is she had to hit the side of his house keep you from going on over the hill. She said he was laying in there with a compound fracture. He had bones sticking out. Said they laid hands on him, and she said, I leave my eyes open, and I watched the bone go back into his arm. Now, can you imagine? How kind of faith? You know, that could happen for us, but we're just too, uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, what, what am I looking for? We're, we're, we're too comfortable. I think that's it. We're just too comfortable in what we are. You know, we got everything we need, I guess, and so we don't think we need anything else. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking about me. I'm certainly not pointing at anybody else. I'm just as guilty as anyone else. Anybody else? Questions, comments? Questions, comments? On this side? Of course you do. Go ahead. That's that's right, that's that's right. You know, when's the last time? And we had them here. When's the last time we had a prayer meeting? And we're we're gonna believe me, we're gonna get back to doing some of these off. We had a prayer meeting where we got a laughing spirit in the church, and it didn't stop. Uh, you uh, you remember some of those? You know, we we can make excuses, and we can always say we need to get home, and we got to do this. We don't. None of us do. By the most part, and you know it, and I'm certainly not disagreeing with it. I think it's a good thing. But by the most part, when we dismiss church, everybody hangs around for another 30 minutes anyway. By the most part. You know, it's, it's all a matter of us having desire. And, it, it, it's, it's, uh, and we, get, we get to be that, that person who, I don't want to be the one who holds things up. Or, you know, I don't want to be the one who interferes or someone thinks that they got to stay no one has to stay but if a person wants to get into a spirit of worship and continue to worship my god we need it we all need it any other questions comments i need any great attitude adjustments i got to get up at three in the morning brother robertson it is eight thirty-five. And you know what? I, I believe in giving people that. But I remember when I was younger, I used to go to basic training. Or was it, no, it was it was it. I'm sorry, it was up at Grayling, Michigan, when two week summer camp. And I'd go out and drink to four o'clock in the morning, and get up at five thirty. I wonder what changes when you get into church. Huh? What changes? Everybody in here can say the same thing, but when you get into church, it's always you got to hurry up and get home. Oh, well. I can walk around and keep talking for another hour. You want me to? <laughs> no. 
I know y'all need to get up. Love, don't you love leaving church feeling guilty? <laughs> Stand with me. Oh, yes, sure it can. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we've had, you know, I, I can't say we haven't had great services. and Well, sure. Sure. Right. But you know, the thing, the, the key to all of it is, it's just like I said earlier. It's not the words that you pray, but it's the spirit that you, you, you pray them in. And it's the same way with church. You can have a lot of church in an hour and a half if your, your desire is into having church and, you know, just having it. Uh, just, just getting into the spirit of it. And we can, you know, it could go three or four hours, or you can have a great move of God within an hour. It's all in what we put into it. Basically, I think why things go, some things go so long is it takes so long for people to get out of the flesh. That's one reason that prayer meetings before church is so important, is to getting yourself into a prayer room and getting out of the flesh before you walk in the doors of a worship service. Because if you do that, then you, you've, you've already started something moving. You know, God's Spirit is already moving. And, you know, you're, regard, a, a church service does not have to be hindered in any way, but there are times when people will hinder it. And it's not the sinner that's sitting back there laughing at us that hinders it. It's a saint that can't get their mind on what they're doing. I never have believed. I, I, I've, you, you're going to have to go a long way to ever... Get me to believe that any sinner, I don't care if they're deep in, in, in the Satanism, is going to hinder a church service. But one saint that's got the Holy Ghost, who's got a bad attitude, or lacks forgiveness, they can lock up a service tight. Because God hates that. And they will lock one up if, if you do it. It's not, it's not that. We like to blame everybody else. That's not the case. Raise your hands right now to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your blessings, your goodness, your mercy, and we praise you, we magnify you, we lift you up in every way. God, you know the desire and the hunger for each and every one of us. And I pray, God, allow us to step away. Lord, step away from what we consider the real and look into the spiritual and get beyond that which we're seeing. I ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake some hands and be friendly. Lord bless you.